Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 12th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen have proposed paying $10 billion to settle claims they helped to fuel the U.S. opioid epidemic. This is the first sign of any progress in possibly settling the several thousand state lawsuits against the drug distributors. The companies made the verbal proposal as part of talks with a group of states' attorneys general. It's the first time in two years of discussions that the three distributors put a dollar figure on the table. The National Association of Attorneys General, handling talks on behalf of more than 35 states, countered with a settlement demand of $45 billion. Whether the distributors and attorney generals can agree to a deal remains uncertain. Defendants in the opioid litigation have been unwilling to settle the claims against them in a piecemeal fashion. The judge overseeing the federal multi-district litigation heard arguments this week over a proposal to create a structure that would allow the defendants to negotiate with a single committee on behalf of all cities and counties in the entire country. State attorneys general have vociferously opposed the plan. Meanwhile, the first opioid trial, which serves as a test case, concluded in mid-July. The trial took place over seven weeks in the college town of Norman, Oklahoma. Instead of a jury, a state judge heard the case, and there has not yet been a decision by the judge. Initially, the Oklahoma lawsuit included Purdue Pharma, the maker of OxyContin. Last March, Purdue Pharma settled with the state of Oklahoma, for $270 million, just two days before the trial began. Another defendant, Teva Pharmaceuticals, announced an $85 million settlement with the state on the eve of trial against the remaining defendant, Johnson & Johnson. In the closing argument against this last remaining party, the Oklahoma Attorney General asked the court to award $17.5 billion. If he is successful, the current global demand of $10 billion for all state cases will seem like a bargain. And now our crime report. A former Victorville physician pleaded guilty to illegally prescribing and distributing the semi-synthetic opioid painkiller oxycodone to undercover operatives. 67-year-old Wendell Mark Street pleaded guilty to two felony counts of illegally prescribing oxycodone to patients without a legitimate medical purpose. He will be sentenced on December 9, at which time he will face a statutory maximum sentence of 40 years in prison. Dr. Street admitted that while he was a licensed anesthesiologist, he sold two prescriptions for $300 each to a confidential informant and an undercover investigator with the California Medical Board. He further admitted that he wrote the prescriptions without a legitimate medical purpose and intentionally acted outside the usual course of professional practice, and that he failed to conduct a physical examination, establish diagnostic testing, 
provide a treatment plan, and create documentation to establish a medication indication for the prescriptions. The investigation showed that Street prescribed 7,769 prescriptions for narcotics, including 437,000 doses of oxycodone in just one year. Street surrendered his California medical license in 2016. Earlier this year, the Los Angeles District Attorney charged operators of Technical School Incorporated doing business as Technical College Incorporated and Graduates Do Succeed Institute doing business as GDS Institute with workers' compensation fraud arising out of the use of the SJDB voucher process. Now, a Bakersfield vocational training business is being investigated by the California Department of Insurance, also for alleged workers' compensation fraud. The CDI is looking into the practices of Instituto Hispano Americano, located on Chester Avenue in central Bakersfield. A search warrant requested by the CDI shows multiple insurance companies contacted the department in 2018 over concerns of suspected fraud dating back to 2013. One report from Berkshire Hathaway Home State Company included as much as a quarter million dollars in suspected fraud since 2013. The insurance company became suspicious about educational vouchers and believed the services for the vouchers were not provided. Insurance Company of the West also told investigators the businesses allowed ineligible students to enroll in a trading program without passing a required exam. Another insurance company, Zenith Insurance, also reported suspected fraudulent test results from Instituto Hispano Americano. Rick Rossi, a former Cabrillo Unified School District bus driver, claimed he suffered a right eye injury from a high-pressure water hose at work. He said the injury left him with headaches and blurry vision and that he could not drive, so he received workers' compensation from the district. But Kanan and Associates referred the file to Regency Investigations for surveillance. During the Sub Rosa investigation, Rossi was seen driving a vehicle and hitting targets with a gun at long distances at a shooting range, indicating he was able to work. The investigation also discovered that Rossi filed an automobile insurance claim saying he par- his parked car was hit. But Google Earth images from five months earlier showed the damage pre-existed the day he claimed it was hit. The 60-year-old was convicted of insurance and auto fraud in July and sentenced to 60 days in jail and three years of probation. He must also pay $60,000 in restitution to Cabrillo Unified, of which he has already paid about $56,000. And in regulatory news, in the first half of 2019, the National Council on Compensation Insurance tracked about 668 state and federal workers' compensation bills. As of the end of June, 84 of these bills have been enacted. 
Legislation impacting first responders continued to be a hot topic this year, with 122 related bills considered in 2019. The first responder bills address compensability for certain cancers and other diseases, as well as compensability for post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2019, at least 26 states considered legislation addressing workers' compensation coverage for mental-only injuries such as PTSD. To date, eight states passed legislation addressing benefits for first responders with PTSD in 2019. Other legislative trends include bills addressing medical cost containment measures, such as fee schedules and treatment guidelines and court or legal issues such as arbitration and subrogation. These trends are very similar to 2018's legislative trends. There are now 11 states plus the District of Columbia that have legalized the recreational use of marijuana. In addition, the majority of states 33 plus the District of Columbia have legalized the medical use of marijuana, while another 14 states have legalized the use of CBD, which is the non-psychoactive forms of marijuana under certain circumstances. As of June 30th, only three states, Idaho, Kansas, and Nebraska, do not have any laws legalizing marijuana in some form. During the 2019 legislative session, several states considered legislation to authorize the reimbursement of medical marijuana in workers' compensation. As of June 30th, none of the bills passed. In 2019, nine states considered legislation addressing prescription drugs in workers' compensation. At least two of the states, Illinois and Nebraska, proposed adopting an evidence-based drug formulary. Other states considered legislation to restrict the use of opioids in workers' compensation claims. The DWC proposes increases to the medical legal fees. It has posted proposed amendments to the medical legal fee schedule to its online forum. Members of the public may review and comment on the proposals. The draft regulations include a single flat fee for a comprehensive medical legal evaluation of $1,650, a follow-up fee of $1,100, and a supplemental fee of $275. There will be additional payments for review of medical records based upon the amount of pages reviewed and then the elimination of what was complexity factors. There will be an increase in hourly fee for medical legal testimony. And an increased modifier for evaluations performed by a psychiatrist or psychologist. And an increased modifier for evaluations performed in an underserved area. The implementation of a predominantly fixed fee for all procedure billing codes is anticipated to reduce frictional costs by establishing reimbursement that is based on objective and quantifiable criteria. The increase in the multiplier for setting fees will increase the reimbursement for the vast majority of evaluations performed by physicians. 
The Workers' Compensation Insurance Rating Bureau will propose a 5.7% average reduction in pure premium rates for workers' compensation insurers in 2020. If adopted, this would be the ninth consecutive pure premium rate decrease since 2015, with reductions totaling about 44% since then. Continued downward loss development, acceleration in claim settlements, sharply declining pharmaceutical costs, and continued decline in the number of liens being filed are among the reasons for the reduction over 2019 rates. Despite these downward trends, the WCIRB cautioned that lost adjustment expenses remain high and that medical and indemnity average claim severities are beginning to rise at levels closer to their historical norms. The agency expects to submit its filing to the California Department of Insurance later this month. And the WCIRB just released the 2019 State of the System report, which predicts that workers' compensation insurance rates in California will continue to fall. And total written premium is expected to drop by $1 billion or more for 2019. Even with the falling written premium, the report portrays a healthy workers' comp market in California. It says the market is very non-concentrated with several hundred insurers participating. Last year was the sixth consecutive year the industry has posted a combined loss and expense ratio below 100. The combined ratio was 90 in 2018. The ratio hit a high in 1999 of nearly 200%. But the WCIRB expects the combined ratio to begin to go up, somewhat due to a modest rise in severity trends. But it will be largely due to declining rates. The ratio may get pushed into the mid to higher 90s for 2019. More than an additional $1 billion in payroll each year is being generated by economic growth. However, lower rates are reducing total written premium by more than $2 billion annually. Written premium is expected to total $15.7 billion in 2019, down from $17 billion in 2018. Written premium has been on the decline since 2016, when it was $18.1 billion. Reforms from SB 863 passed in 2012 have saved the workers' comp system roughly $3 billion a year. With significant savings from lean costs, spinal surgeries, and pharmaceutical costs. Despite recent rate decreases, California's work comp rates remain high compared with other states. California's work comp rates at $2.87 per $100 of payroll compares with a nationwide average of $1.70. The state's poor showing is believed to be California's high frequency of permanent disability claims, the long duration of medical payouts, and high frictional costs. Overall claim frequency in California has remained relatively flat although the frequency of cumulative trauma claims continues to grow, particularly in the Los Angeles Basin and San Diego areas. 
the LA Long Beach area had a 32% higher frequency than the state average when controlled for industrial mix and wage levels. And in medical news, the severity of recent wildfire seasons underscores the importance of a healthy firefighting workforce and awareness of the psychiatric burden borne by public safety workers exposed to traumatic events has grown in recent years. Musculoskeletal disorders are the most common type of occupational injury or illnesses suffered by firefighters. A 2010 RAND study on musculoskeletal disorders in California firefighters confirmed that firefighters experienced these disorders at a significantly elevated rate compared to other workers, even compared to workers in other high-risk jobs. Recently, the California Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation commissioned RAND again to update the analysis from the 2010 RAND study and it asked them to consider the impacts on outcomes for firefighters with musculoskeletal disorders. According to the new 2019 RAND study, as expected, firefighters continue to face elevated risk of work-related musculoskeletal disorders, especially injuries to the lower extremities and trunk. As in the 2010 study, Firefighters with musculoskeletal disorders appear to have less severe economic consequences from their injuries than do workers in similar occupations. Post-injury earnings relative to in the second year after injury were sharply lower in comparable occupations, 88% for police, 85% for other public workers, and 87% for private sector workers. This is an unusual pattern of post-injury outcomes, both because at-injury employment is nearly as high as overall employment, and because it is much higher than observed in comparison occupations. Fire departments appear to do better than other employers, even public sector employers, at retaining injured workers. The DEU ratings and statutory permanent disability benefits rose for firefighters after SB 863 implementation. Firefighters have relatively high occupational adjustments and their slightly older age and injury may also result in more favorable adjustments under the current disability rating schedule. However, firefighters with musculoskeletal disorders rarely receive treatment or permanent disability benefits for PTSD or other psychiatric conditions. Mental health stigma could lead to the patterns observed in this data. Stigma is widely recognized as a barrier to diagnosis and treatment of PTSD and mental health disorders more generally among public safety workers. RAND did not find evidence that treatment caps on chiropractors, occupational therapy, and physical medicine had a substantial impact on most workers. And in other news, in the wake of four fentanyl overdose deaths in San Diego County in 24 hours last week, 
U.S. Attorney Robert Brewer issued a public safety alert. Drug users need to be aware that a lethal strain of fentanyl designed to look like oxycodone is being sold on the streets to unwitting buyers. And the price may be the buyer's life. Brewer also warned that the fentanyl crisis is raging in San Diego as border seizures, prosecutions, and overdoses are on pace to hit all-time highs in the county at the end of 2019. Fentanyl-related deaths are rapidly climbing to unprecedented levels. The medical examiner's office reports 50 confirmed fentanyl-related overdose deaths so far this year, plus another 28 suspected but yet to be confirmed cases with four months remaining in the year. Should this trend continue for the remainder of 2019, the death toll could potentially reach 130, which would amount to a 47% increase over last year's total of 90 deaths and a staggering 787% hike over five years ago when there were only 15 deaths. Federal authorities have confiscated an estimated 533 kilograms, or 1,175 pounds of illicit fentanyl at and near the international border so far this year. That's more than a half a ton. Just four years ago, authorities seized a fraction of that, only 30 kilograms. In addition, there's been a record number of seizures involving counterfeit blue pills labeled M30 that contain fentanyl. Fentanyl is 30 to 50 times more powerful than heroin and so dangerous that in its purest form, even a tiny amount touching the skin can be deadly. The price of fentanyl in 2019, whether in powder form or pill form, is declining, meaning that both forms are readily available in the community. Users are also ordering up fentanyl from the so-called dark web, like they would order something from Amazon. The drug is being purchased online and sent directly to customers by mail or express delivery service in the U.S. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for our workers' compensation news on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.